0: Meter is produced in part using Source Connect made by Source-Elements.com. And now your hosts, Paul Stefano and Sean Daly.
1: Hi everybody and welcome to episode 69 of the VO meter.
2: 69, dude! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I can't help it every time. I'm 12 years old. See, see uh, I
1: prepared myself for your immature reaction, and you still, like, you, you've, you've reached low, low, lower lows, my friend.
2: But back on track, <laughs> measuring your voiceover progress. Today we're featuring audiobook narrator, coach, and stage actor and former college professor, Joel Frumpkin.
1: That's right. He's going to tell us about how he got started with audiobook work, his proficiency with accents, and, of course, his acting for audio course.
2: But before that, it's time for
0: VoiceOver Extra brings you the VO Meter Reference Levels. Uh, seriously, guys, that's the best you could come up with?
2: Hey, it's your show. So, Sean, anything cool happening in your VO world?
1: Well, uh, let's see. Well, fun thing. We uh, yesterday was St. Patty's Day when we recorded this, so we did our bit of our annual tradition at Global Voice Acting Academy, where we had our accent expert Eliza Simpson do an Irish accent workshop. So we uh, we spent ninety minutes working on our our favorite brogues, and where we all practiced. We kind of she had given us assignment beforehand to kind of find a native speaker. Transcribe their speech and then just practice it a bit before the workshop, and it was great. I really enjoy working with Eliza She's just got a very down-to-earth accessible style And she really puts you at ease because it can be nerve-wracking trying a new accent and making a fool of yourself
2: Yeah, that's really cool. That isn't one I necessarily had thought about trying to work on But uh, I guess in the spirit of the times the, the luck of the Irish on March 17th, it makes sense. Well, with a name like Sean Daly, I'd be letting
1: my family down if I didn't practice every now and then. But but anyways. But other than that, I've just been auditioning a lot, um, been doing a lot of workouts for GVAA, and of course my my rekindle classes. So, let's see, some fun auditions across the desk, some fun audiobook stuff, an e-learning explainer, and some IVR
2: work on the horizon. So, what about you, Paul? Well, let's see. Uh, I guess the biggest thing is... Well, I did my second book for Dreamscape, uh, a series that I started back in the summer. The second book has just been wrapped. It's going to be coming out in a few weeks or months, maybe. It's called Eastern Lights, and it's a continuation of the series that started with Southern Storm. So it's one of these books where it was a minor character from the last book, is now the main character of the new book, and it's carry through the voices. So that was interesting. It was a duet with Nikki Thomas, as was the last one, so we carried on that series, and I'm really happy with the way that turned out. Uh, but the big thing I've been doing recently is working on creating a synthetic version of my voice, which I think I touched on the, the last episode, but it's in full swing now. And I'm working with a company called Vocal ID, who started out as a company that created voices for people who did not have a voice, either due to medical trauma or just some sort of birth defect so creating voices for people that literally could not speak Uh, if you think of stephen hawking his voice was i don't think it was created by vocal id with that kind of technology but it's now advanced to the point where they're creating commercial products in order to pitch actors for jobs and sort of infiltrate the sphere that we all work in And i know that's opening up a whole can of worms so if you want to throw in some comments by all means but i can talk about the process too
1: Awesome. I know a lot of people have kind of are bemoaning the progress of AI voices and stuff like that. And and you kind of helped me appreciate the other side. I'm like, look, if this is going this train is going with or without us. So I would prefer to be involved with it if I can.
2: Yeah, it's a very it's very much a if you can't beat them, join them sort of attitude. But I think that's the only way forward. And recording this in America, you and I both being American citizens, where it's a capitalist economy. I think the only way to eliminate the companies that are looking at this in order to steal voices, in order to replace actors, is to work with companies who are good players in the industry and seem to have actors' voices in mind. And that's exactly how Vocal Ideas, so the way their process works is we're creating this virtual Paul, I'll call him, and I've signed an agreement that says they won't use this voice without my consent and will only use it... On an individual project basis so much like we audition now with our real voices we're going to use virtual Paul the same way except I don't have to do anything they're actually going to pitch it to companies who may need it so it's almost like having myself cloned and having them pitch virtual Paul to companies that may need a voice for certain genres I think probably the the most low-hanging fruit is going to be IVR e-learning explainer videos so virtual Paul can do those while regular Paul's recording a six-hour audiobook, maybe at the same time. And I think that's the way forward is to use the technology to your best advantage and get on board with these companies that are doing it right.
1: Yeah, and the fact that it might actually get rid of all the low-ball paying clients who don't want quality. I mean, yes, please get them away.
2: <laughs> and like we said, I think it's going to happen anyway. Now, whether it's a completely computer-generated voice, which is kind of what we're used to, where there's very little human interaction involved, that is already being used by some of these companies that are only paying 10, 15 dollars for a 60-second or even 10-minute project. If we can use these, these good players, like I said, like Vocal ID, to infiltrate that market and use actual voice actors, I think it's going to be a win-win for everybody.
1: Yeah, exactly. Don't make it a buyer's market. Figure out what their costs involved are, what we should expect to be paid, and try and work on something like work out fair compensation for everyone.
2: Simple supply side economics. I mean it's not really nothing simple about it, but that's what it is. You you create the supply and then the demand will, will, will come based on what you've supplied versus the other way around. So the way the process works is actually really interesting. I'm recording about five to six hours of, of content. And it's all just conversational stories and different sort of patterns. So it's not like the old TTS, and I've never really done any full TTS, but from what I understand from being in the industry for a while, is it was recording short sounds and different uh, vocal patterns to try and get the computer to capture basically every possible version of, of a sound you could make with your voice. It's really not like that anymore. It's just recording actual conversations or stories and then the algorithms create the voice from there, and then it can be adjusted to fit any kind of style. So it's really fascinating stuff. I'm actually kind of excited about it, if you can't tell. And Interesting. Is it the same kind of,
1: like, concatenation exercises where you have a lot of, like, really unusual or disparate phrases, like you would
2: never really say? No, like that's what whole... I'm saying. It's not like that at all. I think that's how the process used to work.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like we're talking like just weird nonsensical phrases to get a sense of different uh, like and for those who don't know concatenation is when you break up a phrase into like separate snippets like for example, the number you have dialed five, six, seven, three, two, four, one is not available. Like those were all separate snippets that were cobbled together to create numbers, sentences, whatever. Right, And when you used to record this kind of text-to-speech AI stuff, you had to do that. But it's really cool, and it's probably going to have a much more authentic sound if you're just doing natural speech.
2: Yeah, that's the point I was trying to get across. But you you pulled the term that I can never say, so um, concatenation. Concatenation. Thank you. (laughs) So it's not that at all. It's basically just reading actual, actual text and stories in order to have the computer capture it naturally, and then it will be manipulated on the back end so it's really fascinating stuff and i'm looking forward to see where it goes awesome very cool
1: well that wraps up our vo reference levels we'll get to our interview with Joe frumpkin in just a sec but before that it's time for
0: questionable
2: gear purchase so i'm thinking it's probably a quiet period for you i know it is for me although there are a few dumb things i did <laughs> yeah i think I think I'm between
1: purchases right now, as of the time of this recording. I'm certainly fantasizing about a lot of gear, but we can talk about that in a sec.
2: So I'm almost in between gear. I bought a, a small audio interface called the Audient EVO 4, which you helped me kind of at least go through the motions of deciding whether I wanted that over some of the other new ones that are out there, but I did buy that because I heard of this loopback f- feature it has, and it does work really well for being able to capture incoming sound. So it's a software mixer that you can just select and fade up and down. Really just a four, four lines, I think it is, four-channel mixer, or four, four at least faders that you can mess with. You can, there's like two mic one, uh, mic one and mic two input, and there's also the loopback inputs. And you can bring back really any audio from the computer, whether it be a Skype call, or a YouTube channel, or if you're playing guitar and you want to sing along with a track, you can do that. And I thought I could use it for this, basically, hosting a podcast. But the only feature it doesn't have is being able to play back down the line, which I do use a lot. So when you're having a directed session and somebody says, oh, that's a great take. Can you play that back so I can hear it? I thought that
1: was the whole goal of having that. Like, you just can't route it properly?
2: It just doesn't do it. It's not a feature that's built in. I learned this from George Wittem yesterday, two weeks after I had the interface. I was watching his review on it. And literally the last thing he says in the video, which I didn't watch all the way through until recently, is that the one feature is missing is that it doesn't have playback down the line.
1: Oh no, it's not a true mix-minus?
2: No. And that's really what I was looking for, something to run mix-minus for the podcast and for a couple other projects I'm doing. So for the time being, I'm I'm still looking. So far, I bought a ZI-10 again. I bought it. I might have mentioned it on the last episode. I bought that to try and make it work and... It didn't work so then i bought a yamaha mg 10 fx which is another 10 channel mixer and this one was defective i bought it used from guitar center which in retrospect was a bad idea because it had this like weird hum in it so i took it back to guitar center which i was hoping to avoid doing because of the pandemic i had ordered it and had it shipped to my house but i had to take it back to the store and they plugged it in and said oh yeah this thing's a mess this is defective because the volume was really low i had to turn up I had turned the gain to, like, 6 on the dial, basically all the way around vertical in order to get a usable signal out of this MK8 microphone I'm using, which is really sensitive. It was really unusual. For comparison, on the Yamaha AG-06 I'm using now, I have it at 1 o'clock on the on the, on the dial. So there was something radically wrong with that MG-10, and I had to return that. So the EV, EV4 was the third attempt I made this time around to try and get a... a true mix-minus, and it's not working. So, off that's going. But I'm not sure if I'm really going to bother at this point, because the times we really use that are really kind of few and far between. It's only when we have multiple interview guests on. And most of the time, it's just you, me, and one of the guests. So I think I'll be okay for the time being. And if not, there's other ways to make it work with software.
1: Well, we do have a podcast. You could get something like the Roadcaster Pro or something.
2: That's what I'm looking at. <laughs> 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 I tell you there's another uh, one, one that really intrigues me. I got it's, him. <laughs> there's one more that really intrigues me, mostly because it's a lot less. It's like a third of the cost is the, the Zoom Pod Track 4. Have you seen that?
1: No, I mean, um well, depending like Zoom has a couple of different lines between like consumer and prosumer, so I don't follow them too closely.
2: Well, this one is a handheld unit, or at least it looks like a handheld unit. It might be slightly bigger. I think it's about the same size as the Yamaha AG03. And its main feature, like the Roadcaster, is that it has built-in mix-minus. So on both of those, you can hit a switch, a virtual switch, that just says mix-minus, and then it's supposed to eliminate the feedback on the other end of a call just by itself. The only thing I can't figure out is if either of them can play back down the line, just like the Evo 4. I know I can capture everything incoming, which is what we do for a podcast, but I'm not sure they have that missing feature, so... If any of our listeners know, if you have a broadcaster P- or a PodTrack 4, please let us know, either on the Facebook page or just email us directly. I'd love to know if either of those has a play down the line feature so I can play back to a client or a, or a coach on a directed session, because that's the one thing I, I need that most of the consumer-grade interfaces don't seem to have.
1: Like, do they let you use Zoom or something? Like, you could play it back over that.
2: Yeah, Man. that works. But as you know, the audio quality isn't the same as something like Source Connect. Who source elements, sponsors the show, obviously. So we want to, we want to use the best quality possible if we can, and uh, stuff that, for that I need hardware. Very cool.
1: Well, yeah. Let us know if you if you have experience with the PodTrak 4, the Rodecaster Pro, or something else we haven't tried and throw our money at.
2: <laughs> yeah, if you want me to be the guinea pig, I'm happy to do it.
1: <laughs> I will say though, because I mean, I was I was really impressed with those Evo units too, and I feel like if you're if you can only spend a hundred to two hundred dollars on an interface, you can do a lot worse than the Evo four or the Evo eight. Especially yeah, that's if you a need the, product the four, overall.
2: The four pre's. What was that? I said, yeah, that's a quality product overall. The pre's are great. For those well, who let's... don't know, that means preamp. So yeah,
1: you never know if you need to make those explanations sometimes.
2: <laughs> so that's it for questionable gear purchases, or at least questionable window shopping. Now let's get to our interview with Joel Frumkin, right after our word from our sponsors. Studio Bricks designs and creates the highest performing portable
1: sound isolation booths. Their professionally perfected acoustics enhances your performance and take your recordings to their maximum quality from your home studio. Forget about managing noise conflicts with your neighbors and family. Pursue your passion for voiceover on your own time and on your own terms.
0: Walgreens, Because it's flu season, and you live in a place with doorknobs and handrails and, you know, people.
1: We tried booking a vacation rental on one of those other websites. They don't always tell you everything.
0: The stars take it to the red carpet.
1: We are back live from the red carpet. California leads the way for change in America, and so does Kamala Harris.
0: Rated M for mature. Claire
1: Redfield. And who exactly are you? So...
3: Uh, yeah, what hashtag should I use to describe a grown man in a tuxedo
1: wrestling a goat? And prior to
0: 1933, many of them belonged to a variety of political parties that were now outlawed in Germany.
1: This is the story of how Q got curly. Quinn was crazy about curls. Curly fries, curly straws, curly haired dogs.
0: Hey, Jay Michael here. Thanks for listening to the VO podcast. It's one of my favorites. If you're looking for a great demo like the ones you just heard, check out jmcdemos.com for more information.
2: Hi, everybody! Welcome back to the VoMeter podcast. We're joined today by Joel Frumkin. Now, Joel is a ten-time audiophile earphones award-winning narrator. He is the recipient of the 2020 Sovas Award for Excellence in Humor Narration and the 2020 Independent Audiobook Awards Best Male Narrator Award. With over 300 titles to his credit, he is known as a dialect specialist and for his rich and imaginative narrations. A classically trained actor who has taught dialects at NYU and served as his director of drama at Manchester University. He recently created actingforaudio.com, an intensive acting technique course specifically tailored to the audiobook narrator. Joel also records LGBT material as Joel Leslie and was voted Goodreads' all time favorite MM romance narrator in 2019. When not in the booth or coaching, he is busy as a Disney holic and wrangling two loquacious wiener dogs. So, welcome, Joel Frumpkin. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for having me, Sean
1: and Paul.
3: I really appreciate it. Our I'm excited pleasure. to be here.
1: Yeah, it's great to have you. So obviously you're a prolific narrator now, but tell us how you got started. Um
3: it's kind of a wacky story. I um my husband and I had moved to Indiana of all places to start a theater company. We were living in New York and we wanted to start doing our own our own productions. And we moved to indiana to start this theater company and we were there for 10 years we we had there was this uh, we found this hundred year old vaudeville house that was really a wreck but had beautiful bones and we wanted to transform it and we did and what we didn't think about was really the fact that we were moving to indiana and <laughs> it was just, it was a very small town in indiana and there were some people that were amazing but there just was not it's very right wing they were not terribly excited to embrace two guys doing musical theater. We just didn't get the support we needed, and so we kind of invested 10 years of our life into this and finally got it up and going, and it just didn't make it. We were so proud of the work we did. It was, we did beautiful, beautiful productions um, with incredibly talented, t- talented casts, but it just didn't have the audiences we needed. And so we were kind of like, oh crap, what <laughs> do we do now? And I was also uh, I was also teaching at the time. I was a I was a university professor there at the same time, but we kind of went. What do we do now? And a friend of mine that I've known for over twenty years. I mean, we're talking since I was a kid because we both grew up in Bermuda, which is a British Commonwealth, which is why I I went to an all British. Basically the equivalent of a British boarding school except it was a day school with all British teachers And that's sort of how I ended up as a dialect mutt being able to do accents from all over the UK and stuff But anyway Beverly grew up there too and she's also a mutt she can bounce between American and British and is cast both ways but her name's Beverly Crick and She's this amazing fairy godmother warm human being. She works a ton doing lots of romance for Harper audio, etc. And she said to me, why don't you try doing this? She said, you know, you're a good actor. You have the same weird dialect skill set that I have. I bet you could do okay at this. Cause she knew we were kind of looking for something else. And I did what I bet 99% of people do nowadays. I went on to ACX and I started auditioning and I got a book within two days. And then I was full-time in, within three months. And it just kind of happened for me and sort of took over everything. And so that's how it began. I was really, really very lucky. I just jumped in at the right time and found authors who were interested in my voice. And, you know, and that's how it started. So, yeah.
2: That's fantastic. So you kind of covered the question we were going to ask next. So I'm going to pivot a bit. Now that you are doing primarily audiobooks, what do you like most about it? And is there anything you really miss about the stage? Um, What do I like most about it? I love getting to play all the characters. I think that's really, really
3: fun. That's That's an element of acting that most people don't get to explore when they do this professionally. And I love that aspect. I love the versatility that it demands. I love that there's something different in the booth every day. I hadn't been acting for about Uh, 15 years at least, because as soon as I, right when I had graduated from my undergrad, uh, in performance, I knew that I wanted to be a director. And that was what I basically was pursuing. And my career had been for many, many years. And so to come back to it was really like coming back to home. And I'd always been I'd always been an audiobook fan. The the thing that got me addicted was Patrick Stewart's Christmas Carol. I just oh, fell wow. madly in love with it and was, you know, at this point have it memorized beyond being sane. And, you know, and Stephen Fry doing Harry Potter, which I think is a gateway drug for a lot of people, and Roy Detrice <laughs> doing Roy Detrice doing Game of Thrones. And just sort of fell in love with those particularly British british narrators of a certain style who embrace a level of connected honest theatricality who strive to give you what sounds like a full cast audio experience but just with one voice and so i love that's what i emulate that's what i kind of those are the narrators i worship that's the kind of work that i try to do and when those books come along it's really exciting and really thrilling I think the hard part is that it's it is a very grueling job. I'm very didactic. I am not a one take wonder. I go over and redo things over and over because I'm hard on myself. I'm lucky if I get two finished hours done a day and I'm probably eight hours in the booth, which is pathetic. Um, <laughs> it really is. like I'm really i I'm my own worst enemy, and I'm working to combat that. But you know you've got to be very, very disciplined. Um, I'm lucky that my husband is very good with a calendar and he has me scheduled within an inch of my life. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of like, I can look now and like look at September and go, okay, I'm or through December actually, and be like, I know exactly what I'm doing every single day now until December. And that that for me, I think is really uh, a linchpin because I don't think left to my own devices, I'd be able to sustain that. And one thing that is is getting, I've done about 200 gay romances at this point. And they do begin to fall into a skillful, a skillful, lovely, but nonetheless a template. And so I think that I'm, I'm getting to the point with those where I need to be more choosy about um, the ones that really speak to me. The ones that present a new challenge, or the ones I've started turning down—gay uh, romances that I know I'm not the guy who should do them. If that makes sense. When some, you know, if somebody comes to me and says this is set in medieval times and it's a British warrior and a Scottish wizard, I'm like, yes, give it to me. We're all about it. <laughs> <laughs> but when they come and they say, you know, this is two Navy SEALs going into Iraq and they're bonking each other, I'm like, you know what? I'm not the guy. I'm not, I'm not that guy. And I've learned, I'm learning to gradually pick and choose that stuff more, which is scary because, you know, it's always scary saying no to things and knowing that if something has to fill that blank. I think a lot of people struggle with burnout. I think a lot of people around the five-year mark I've talked to a lot of other narrators that that get to a point where it becomes, no matter how much you love it, no matter how passionate you are about getting into the booth every day, it's a job. And I think everyone can hit a little point of burnout. And that that can be, you always need to remember the listener that you're talking to. You always need to remember who you're doing it for. And that, that keeps me energized, I think. But there are definitely challenges, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Man, that's amazing. I love so much about what you just talked about, especially that idea of, uh, what was it? An honest theatricality? I love that term. We, have, we often talk about this in some of the VO workouts that I moderate. Like, we're always striving for acting truthfully under artificial circumstances, but my friend Steve Riesberg says, in an interesting and or entertaining way. Because if we go full natural, it's kind of boring. <laughs> so Absolutely. Just, mm-hmm.
3: You know, there's, there's a reason why somebody decides to put pen to paper and it's usually to create something more interesting than life. And sometimes we have to rise to that. And I really get, when, when it really requires that, that's when I get really excited as a narrator.
1: So kind of talking about that idea of being more selective and the, the titles that you will or won't do. You have quite a number of titles in the, in the M.M. Romance genre. As a gay man, how do you feel about heterosexual men working in that genre?
3: That is, it is a very interesting, very nuanced question. And my opinion on it has, I think, evolved. The best way I think I can put it is, you have to remember that L- LGBT fiction, queer stories written by queer writers, are their own genre and gay romance or what we tend to call MM romance, male, male romance is a different genre. Those books are overwhelmingly written by women for women and they are fantasies. And the more and more I've come to accept that they are fantasies to me, I have no problem when a publisher goes to a straight narrator for what I call a straight sound because very often if you say to these authors, cast, cast these voices, cast your 12 Navy Seals who travel in a posse and all just happen to be gay, that kind of thing, which happens a lot, or this motorcycle club, or, you know, these, uh, I'm trying to think, you know what I mean, the, the alpha, alpha male types. I do a um, lot with
2: werewolves and
3: Right, right. <laughs> try if you say to these authors try and cast these voices as anyone you know that is gay or a famous gay person. Mm-hmm. They can't do it because the voices in their head are straight voices. Mm-hmm. So what I've come to accept is it's kind of like if I was being upset about somebody voicing a hobbit or an orc. It's a <laughs> fantasy. It's not it's not a real it's not, it's not what I know in real life as a, as an, as a primarily gay experience. So mm-hmm. when, those, when that's what's been written, it makes sense to me to cast those voices. I applaud very, very strongly publishers that make the decision to look for own voices narrators and it is starting to happen and they are starting to do it overwhelmingly when they are queer stories written by queer authors. They mostly will go to a gay narrator for that. And I think that's really, really amazing. And I would never begrudge an actor turning down work. To me, it's in the hands of the publisher. And it's in the hands of the publisher to look at the material and say, does this story, does this story matter to queer people? Will it resonate? Will it be important if there is a gay role model telling this story? that can be the public voice of this story, then I think it's important and it's amazing. But it really is, once you accept that a big part of the romance genre is fantasy, you accept casting it is okay as fantasy. That's my weird little politically correct answer.
1: Is that <laughs> okay? thought it was quite diplomatic. Uh,
2: yeah, it makes perfect sense. So along the yeah. same lines, you, men- you mentioned, or I mentioned in your bio, that you do most of the LGBT material as Joel Leslie, What was the genesis of the pseudonym, and do you think it's something every narrator needs or should have? For me, I do not hide my pseudonym at all. Uh, My Facebook
3: name is Joel Leslie Frumkin, which is actually my full name. Leslie is my middle name. And I eventually realized that asking people to search for two different guys when I didn't care about them knowing who I was was a bit silly. So I just kind of, all my social media is now those two names lumped together. But for me, it was simply a matter of branding because in that male, male romance world, the listeners want to know what they're getting. They don't want to accidentally stumble across a male, female story. So what I did was I basically said, okay, Joel Leslie is going to record everything that is LGBT material pretty much. And that way those listeners always feel safe when they pick up a Joel Leslie book and anything else, I do under Joel Frumkin. So do I think people need a pseudonym? I don't. I mean, I think the thing that I always come back to is Andy Arndt is just fine doing the raciest books in the world. And she also got cast by uh, Disney to, be, to do the novelization of Frozen. And she's Anna and Elsa. So if Andy, who is one of the most famous and revered romance narrators in the world, can straddle both... huh? pardon the pun, <laughs> can straddle both worlds, <laughs> then I think that that most people can. I totally get why some people do it because of, um, I think the reason a lot of people do it is because they're concerned about what people might, you know, if they're from a conservative background, if they have, you know, if they're concerned about their family or their neighbors or their kids finding out, you know, they, they do this kind of racy stuff. I I totally understand it and I understand the need to, keep that compartmentalized and if you do if you if you do decide that your pseudonym is an anonymous one you've got to commit to that also being another brand that you keep up to another social media profile to another twitter handle to Mm -hmm. another instagram handle you know and that's a that's a big commitment but i totally understand why narrators do it as well as authors
2: you know yeah by the way andy andy's a friend of the show she's been a guest before so Andy, She's no offense. A <laughs> She's a goddess.
1: She's a goddess. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Wonderful. I love, I love the perspective on this. So, um, kind of switching gears a little bit, so you have recently started doing coaching as well in addition to the bajillion other things you're doing. <laughs> how, how did that process start, and how has it been for you? For many, many years, I was, I was a dialect coach,
3: and I was, a, I was a theater professor, teaching directing and undergrad acting, et cetera, et cetera and a director for most of my career. So that perspective was in my DNA already. And I'd been doing private coaching. I don't chase after it. I'm not somebody who bangs a drum, but people come to me and I have students. And what I began to recognize was that a lot of people, a lot of people who were coming to coach with me or a lot of things I would see posted on social media would be people who were coming at narration from a non-acting background which personally to me is the most bizarre thing it's like you know studying plumbing for your entire life and then suddenly walking into a house and saying i'm going to do the electrical it the two the two to me just seem completely confounding that you'd think this is not an acting job but a lot of people do a lot of people come at it because they are passionate about reading a lot of people come at it from a radio background or a lot of people have raw talent but they've never trained it to understand how when things aren't working for them what acting technique is and how to fall back on it and use it as a tool to work through the tough days and i realized there was this missing kind of coaching that there wasn't anybody actually teaching acting that was for audiobook narrators specifically so i thought it was going to be really easy and it turned out to be a bucket load of work, <laughs> which is which is fine, we're getting through it. And it's actually, I'm really excited about the class and the students are amazing. But I basically took what was the equivalent of freshman acting and then retooled it all to be geared also towards voice work and towards the specific needs of narration. You know, a traditional acting class, the primary focus is on studying one character, immersing yourself in that role, doing all the research on that, and putting all your focus in one basket, you know, or all your eggs in one basket, whereas we have to juggle a million balls at once and have a technical aspect going on, a dual consciousness of being our own director, et cetera, et cetera. So I spent you know a couple of weeks over my Christmas break trying to merge that class into something, and then having to figure out how you do an acting class over Zoom, where you can't really do a lot of scene study, you can't do partnering work, you can't do mirror exercises and all the kinds of touchy-feely stuff that you would normally do in an acting class. And also aware that adults aren't going to want to, you know, spend... In a, in a, in a freshman acting class, it's a, it's a long time in a freshman acting class before you get to talk. You spend a lot of time rolling around on the floor, going mm, uh, and making you know grumbly gibberish noises and feeling like a lunatic. And I was like, there's no way people are gonna wanna pay. It needs to be more accelerated than that. We need to find a way to get past that. So I put this week, 15 week course together. It sold out, the first semester of it sold out in 24 hours and we ended up at having three classes of 10 students each and it's going great. And it's really exciting to give people these tools. Because even, you know, there are people who are crazy, crazy talented who just don't understand how to harness their talent in a specific way and what sometimes works for them and what doesn't. So it's been, it's been amazing. So I'm really, I'm really proud. We have the, the second semester just went on sale now. So if people are interested, they can go sign up for the class now. But, we're, um, but it's been really, really great. And I'm, it's great to give back and it's great to, you know, share to see people's talent and, and watch them grow. And it's, it's been exciting.
2: That's, that's great. So yes. I know most of the, the roster in the class because I initially signed up and then backed out because of all my recent booth drama. But it seems like most of the people that signed up are vets of some sort. But a lot of our listeners to this show are people just starting out in the business. So I'm wondering if you have any recommendations for someone who is just looking to get started in audiobooks, what kinds of things they can look into and what they should focus on.
3: Get addicted to listening. I'm sure any of your guests are going to say that. I'm sure it's nothing new, but you've got to listen to the genres you're interested in. Find the kind of narrators you're passionate about that resonate for you. Find your heroes because you can't be everything to everybody. You know, I am a very specific kind of narrator. I have a specific kind of sound. I have a specific kind of energy that I bring to things. And it is not everyone's taste. And you have to learn to accept that you can't if you try and be everything you end up just painting with a great big roller, you just end up painting gray and you need to find where you where your gifts are. And you'll do that by listening, you'll do that by listening and going, okay, this is this person is amazing. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. And you'll it'll be the best crash course that you could ever get in a million years. The second thing that I'm sure everyone tells you is coach. Find a reputable coach who is someone who records audiobooks. Do not take a class somewhere. Do not sign up to coach with anybody who does, who only has 10 audiobooks to their credit. This is its own art form. It is different than television. It is different than film. It is vastly different than being on stage. You know, I have a student right now I'm working with who has four Broadway credits, and she just... It is so hard for her. She's brilliantly talented, and it's so scary for her to just strip down and have to be simple and have to be so intimate. So, find a reputable coach, take acting classes wherever you can, and study, 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 study. You can't just leap into this, no matter what your raw talent is. I don't know a single person that wouldn't say they go back to their listen to their first ten books and cringe because. You simply just don't know what the art form is. You don't know what the genre demands. You don't know what the listeners want. So your best tool is to become a listener yourself and determine that, I think.
2: That's absolutely true. I know Sean Pratt, with whom you've trained, as well as both Sean and I, makes you get an Audible subscription if you don't already have one. And a lot of people that first come to him, I think, don't have an Audible subscription. It's absolutely paramount to just start listening.
3: Yeah. And it keeps you it helps you keep you from burnout too. You know, when I find a new book that I love the narrator for and they inspire me, that gets me wanting to go back into the booth. It really does. Exactly.
1: And, and I mean, it's so true, but like, I'm just, I had to mute myself because I'm like, yeah, say it to the cry. It just, you're doing so well. And I just love so many of the things that you're encouraging people to do because it's like, I work, for in, like an in acting school as well. And you'd be amazed how many people are like, oh, I'm not an actor, I'm a narrator. And I'm just like, there's acting involved. <laughs> it is the and- hardest acting job. It is the hardest
3: acting job. I tell people to make them feel better about how hard this is. I say, okay, look at Meryl Streep, right? Let's say Meryl Streep is Oscar nominated for leading actress in a movie. Add up the amount of audio time her screen time would add up to. It's going to be maybe half an hour in a two-hour two movie, right? Maybe 45 minutes total that she is personally on camera and speaking to, be, to win a leading actress Oscar. We have to do eight freaking hours. <laughs> and we have to play all the roles. And we have to play the narrator. And we have to play against, wildly against type and be believable doing all of it and stay connected and be our own director. It is hard and I think people, simply because the words are written on the page in front of us, and reading is something we do from childhood, I think people equate it with that. It's no more reading than standing on stage in front of 500 people once you've memorized a play script is reading. It's mm. an it's a very difficult acting job. Absolutely.
1: Definitely. Wow. So, I've just... Ah, I'm so, so stoked on the conversations we've been having today, Joel. But one more question for you. Where do you personally see the future of audiobooks going?
3: You know, that's interesting. I don't think we're going anywhere. I think that, you know, I was very, I was worried about the pandemic because I thought there would be a big downturn in listeners because of a lack of commuting.
2: Um, Yeah, I thought
3: so too. Yeah, but it didn't seem to hit. It seemed that people instead listened to them at home while they were doing whatever, ignoring um, their kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, making making sourdough. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. The fear of AI, I think, is genuine to a degree. I mean, I know when I'm sometimes when I'm prepping a book and I don't have time to sit and read it, I'll put it through a I'll put it through a voice to speech software and listen to it in my earphones. You know, on a podcast program just to, at three times the speed so that I'm absorbing a, a, a new book that's coming my way. But it is never, and it's, I'm, it's, I'm teaching subtext right now. And the thing you can never teach a robot, you can never teach AI, is subtext. You can never teach them the hidden meaning behind the words. There are 40 million ways to say I hate you and I love you, and a computer is only going to take those words at face value. They're never going to learn nuance. And that's what we bring to it. And that's why I'm so passionate about audiobook narrators being actors and being not just readers and not just sounding like they're reciting something written on the page for them for the author. We have to make this genre lift up a book and take it to another level. We have to have a reason we exist, because otherwise, if we're just reading, we should be replaced by a robot. We're not bringing anything to the table. But when we bring human experience and emotion and nuance and subtext and bring a book to life in a new way, then we'll never be replaceable.
1: Brilliant. As I like to tell my students when we work on long form narration, the reason it sounds like we're reading is because you're only processing it on a superficial informational level. We need to do more than that. We have to process it and understand it on an emotional level and convey that to an audience so they understand it on an emotional level. I don't know when a machine's going to be able to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. They, I don't think they will.
3: So we're okay for a couple more years, I think.
2: <laughs> well, you mentioned bringing the story to life, and nobody does that better than Joel Frumkin. So, Joel, thanks so much for being here today on the ViewOmeter Podcast. Before we go, where can folks find you if they want to listen to your work or maybe sign up for the acting class that has just gone on sale?
3: You can find me at joelfrumpkinaudio.com. That's my narrator website. You can always find me on Facebook at Joel Leslie Frumpkin. And the acting website, if you're interested, and I would love for you to be, uh, because we have a grand old time in the class. We really do. It's actingforaudio.com. And the new courses are on sale now. So come and sign up. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Joel. Thank you. This was so much fun. You guys are great. I really, I'm really honored and so pleased to be asked. It was very kind of you.
0: How many times has this happened to you? You're listening to the radio when this commercial comes on. Not unlike this one. And this guy starts talking. Not unlike myself. Or maybe it's a woman that starts talking. Not unlike myself. And you think to yourself, geez, I could do that. Well, mister. Well, missy. You just got one step closer to realizing your dream as a voiceover artist. Because now there's Global Voice Acting Academy. All the tools and straight-from-the-hip, honest information you need to get on a fast track to doing this commercial yourself. Well, not this one exactly. Classes, private coaching, webinars, home studio setup, marketing and branding help, members-only benefits like workouts, rate negotiation advice, practice scripts, and more. All without the kind of hype you're listening to right now. Go ahead, take our jobs from us. We dare you. Speak for yourself, buddy. I like what I do. And you will, too, when you're learning your craft at Global Voice Acting Academy. Find us at GlobalVoiceAcademy.com.
2: Because you like to have fun.
0: As a voice talent, you have to have a website. But what a hassle getting someone to do it for you. And when they finally do, they break or don't look right on mobile devices. They're not built for marketing and SEO. They're expensive. You have limited or no control. And it takes forever to get one built and go live. So what's the best way to get you online in no time? Go to voiceactorwebsites.com. Like our name implies, voiceactorwebsites.com just does websites for voice actors. We believe in creating fast, mobile-friendly, responsive, highly functional designs that are easy to read and easy to use. You have full control. No need to hire someone every time you want to make a change. And our upfront pricing means you know exactly what your costs are ahead of time. You can get your voiceover website going for as little as $700. So if you want your voice actor website without the hassle of complexity and dealing with too many options, go to voiceactorwebsites.com where your VO website shouldn't be a pain in the you-know-what.
2: All right, thanks to Joel Frumpkin for talking to us on the VO Meter. I've wanted to have him on for a while. I don't know why we waited so long. I feel like I say that a lot, don't I? It's just that we have so many great guests that there's just... So much time in the day. So there's just all, so many hours in the day to talk to everybody we want to talk to. But thanks again to Joel for coming on.
1: Yeah, it was great. I loved his passion. And if you're interested, be sure to check out
2: his Acting for Audio course. It's actually on sale right now. I just got the email. So sign up quickly because before you know it, those spots will be gone. Well,
1: that wraps up this episode of the VO Meter.
2: Measuring your voiceover progress.
1: Stay tuned because we have Dan Zitt and Julie Wilson talking about their new casting platform, Ahab Talent.
2: And following that, we'll be live from virtual VO Atlanta, so stay tuned for great content from that.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you in the next one.
2: Thanks for listening to this episode of
1: the VO Meter. To follow along, visit us at www.vometer.com.
2: We'd also love to hear your comments or suggestions for the show. Or if you have a questionable gear purchase, tell us all about it on our Facebook page or on Twitter at the VOMeter.